And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the first day of May. Yep, already getting ready to go for the summer. Already here, already. Temperatures heating up outside. And hopefully the markets will do a little bit better this month than they did last month. The question, of course, is will April showers bring May flowers? And that's, of course, you know, that's what everybody's kind of hoping for. April turned out to be a very tough month for stocks, really kind of across the board. It didn't matter whether it was NASDAQ, S&P, pretty much every major sector ended in the red for the month. And, and this is, you know, kind of just part and parcel of what's been going on all year long. And look, let's go back to 2021 for a second and talk about where we were then. During 2021, we had a year where the average drawdown was about four and a half to five percent, very minimal. And every drawdown was a buy the dip opportunity. And as soon as we got down to five percent, we kept talking about all last year, you know, every time we come down, touch the 50 day moving average, 20 day moving average, that was a buy the dip opportunity and markets would go running off to new highs. And this was because the Federal Reserve, of course, putting in $120 billion a month in QE. We had checks going to households in 2020 and 2021. And that led to just this really incessant rise in the markets. And you know now the markets are down about 12%. And I had said back in 2021 that you know when we got a real correction of 10% or so, it was gonna feel a whole lot worse than it actually is. And that's exactly what's happened this year. The market's down about 10, 12% for the year. Everybody is convinced the world is now ended. I can't tell you how many podcasts I've done here recently with people. You know, they're convinced the world's coming to an end and we're about to be in this major bear market. And look, I'm not saying that's not possible. We could certainly have a bigger bear market coming. We have the dynamics for it. But as negative as sentiment is right now, and again, we're talking about investor sentiment at the lowest level since the 70s, right? I mean, there is like nobody right now that wants to be invested in the financial markets. That's typically a really good time uh, where you see markets rebound from lows. And look, you know, we again, we've talked about this a good bit. Markets are now trading exactly where they were, you know, back in the bottoms in March and, and or late February when we were talking about the Russia about Russia invading Ukraine. Uh, that was exactly where the market bottomed back in, back then. Uh, since then, the market has gotten now very oversold on multiple levels. Money flows are very negative right now, and this is kind of that setup that you need for that reflexive rally. All you need is a bit of relief of some sort. Now, what could that be? What kind of news could we get that would be a relief to markets? Well, that could be the Federal Reserve on Wednesday. Markets are pretty much have priced in several rate hikes by the Federal Reserve. So any type of news from the Federal Reserve that says they might be softening their stance or there may be a little less concerned about inflation. Maybe they say something like, uh, you know, we think inflation may have peaked back in the first quarter and, and, and we kind of see, you know, slower rates of inflation ahead. And, you know, we're going to tighten monetary policy here a bit, but we're watching our employment numbers. We're watching our price stability. Uh, any type of news that suggests that, you know, they may back off some of their more aggressive stance that they've been talking about. 
that could lead to a fairly sharp reflexive rally in the markets. And, and again, you could have a rally that takes us just back to where these peaks were uh, back in early April. And that would not be that significant of a rally here in terms of, of, of how far we've come. But that would be a five, six, seven percent advance from where we are currently. And of course, that would certainly allow you to reposition your portfolios a little bit better. The, you know, the one thing that happens during these sell offs and again, last week, very tough week, really didn't go much of anywhere for the week, though. We started out on the upside, went down on Tuesday, up on Wednesday, you know, uh, Thursday, we kind of flopped around, went up, had a nice had a nice rally day on Thursday, Friday, gave it all back up and a little bit more. But really, overall net of the week, we kind of really went nowhere between Tuesday and Friday. So, you know, it's very challenging, but that really weighs on psychology. And this is where, as investors, we tend to start making emotional mistakes. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to get out of the market. You know, any rally I'm going to get, I'm going to get out. And that's where what happens typically is that we kind of get this capitulatory selling. Everybody just kind of dumps in the markets. And Friday kind of looked a lot like that. Um, and that's where you kind of see a short-term bottom markets rally back that really frustrates investors. Then they jump all back in, and then that's where you get your next good setup for you know selling and 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 taking profits and raising cash. So again, kind of keep a watch here. Now I'm not saying you know that, that we're gonna have a rally back to all-time highs. All I'm saying is that the markets are now negative enough and have been really. This is this has not just been this week. We talked about this over the last two weeks really is that sentiment is so negative. Positioning is so negative right now. People are so uh, you know, concerned about the markets. That's typically where you get a reflexive rally. Um, in our weekly newsletter, if you go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, uh, click on the newsletter link. In this past weekend's newsletter, every week we publish several charts about uh, risk and reward ranges. We take a look at uh, the the deviation of sectors from moving averages. You know how many how many how many stocks are trading below their 50-day versus you know ver versus the index. Um, also taking a look at just basic technical indicators. Our technical gauge that we run on there is a composite technical indicator of about eight different technical measures on a weekly basis. So this, this indicator moves fairly slowly. That indicator is now at the lowest level we've been at since the March 2020 lows. Um, and typically what that says is that market, and again, just kind of goes back to what we're saying a second ago, the markets are so negative, so oversold right now. People are so you know bearish on the markets. That's typically the time that you're gonna get some type of reflexive rally. Now. Again, as I said, you want to use that rally to reduce risk into, sell stuff that you don't want to own, stuff that hasn't been performing well, time to let that go. You know, and then we'll have time um, you know, to, to rebalance and, and to pick through the rubble here as we go, because again, we're not near a, we're likely not near the bottom yet. So probably any rally that we get, we're going to ultimately see another set of or at least a retest of recent lows at some point in the future because there's so many people that are now trapped in the markets from this decline they're looking for an exit so anytime we get rallies and this was kind of what we saw back in march we had that very nice rally in march gave it all back up because all those trap longs just wanted to get out of the markets and they needed a rally to do that so again that's probably what's going to happen here over the next couple of months particularly as we move into summer which which always has a little bit lighter volume uh, markets tend to be weaker in the summer. We talk about you know the seasonal weakness of markets during the summer months. Doesn't mean that it's going to trade negative, right? Doesn't mean that the big bear market's coming in in, April, in June or July, but there's typically more weakness in the summer. So we could see some rallies here. 
use those rallies opportunistically to kind of rebalance risk, you know, kind of rebuild your portfolio structure, kind of get yourself aligned with where you want to be. Um, and, then, and then as we have the next decline, you'll be a little bit better protected. So again, a little bit better, little, little bit higher level of cash uh, holdings here, certainly not problematic. I do warn you though, trying to go all into cash and saying, hey, I'm gonna get back in later when the market straightens out. That's a very tough thing to do. So be a little cautious with that. But we'll come back uh, you know, here in a moment from, from the break and we'll talk about some, <laughs> some of the advice that's kind of being put out there right now. And, and again, we'll talk about why that advice that you get kind of from the mainstream media may not be the exact advice you want to follow because of what ultimately happens to money over time. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. I'm Harold Lance Roberts for today's edition of The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. 617 on this uh, first day of really first trading day of May uh, as we get things going here. Of course, it's the second day of May, actually, but, you know, first trading day. Um, and again, you know, this month we've got a, a lot of stuff that's going on. Federal Reserve meets this week. Uh, of course, on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve will announce their latest policy decision, pretty much what the markets are expecting. And as long as they don't surprise the markets really in any, any kind of way, I suspect we might even see the markets rally on the announcement. 50 basis uh, point rate hike. An announcement that they're going to start tapering their balance sheet by about 90 95 billion a month and they're keeping a watch on inflation and full employment and as long as they kind of stay within that context markets will probably kind of rally on that news because it's exactly what the market's expecting what they're what they're not wanting and things that that of course may impact markets is a 75 basis point hike right or something more aggressive i don't suspect they'll do that but we'll see. Um, they've certainly done things that have surprised markets before. Um, also this month, though, we've got, uh, you know, a few other things that are going on. You know, lots of kids graduating from school, you know, getting out of high school now, getting ready to go to college. You know, that's always a fun thing. Um, you know, parents are going to be plagued with having to take care of their kids all summer now. <laughs> Won't have the paid-for babysitters <laughs> set up. But, in, and of course, don't forget, most importantly, Mother's Day right around the corner. Can't forget Mother's Day. 
Mother's Day is always getting lots of flowers. Everybody gets out to eat. Father's Day comes around. It's like, who? <laughs> that guy. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, people aren't running down to, to Kroger parking lots to buy flowers on Father's Day, right? It's just No, they show up at Harbor Tools. Exactly. <laughs> The dads do because yeah. ain't nothing happening at home for Father's Day, so they might as well go down to Harbor Tools. Got a gift card. Woohoo. <laughs> anyway, a um, couple of things. Uh, so, as I said, uh, kind of finishing up the last break, that, you know, there's a lot of advice being put out right now. And I was, I was actually driving into work this morning, I was uh, listening to the radio. And so they were interviewing this lady from CNBC, and she's talking about, you know, the sell off we had and, and, you know, April and, you know, kind of throwing out some stats for the April sell-off. And she's, then she says, well, you know, most of the financial advisors I've talked to, they say just, you know, just sit back, relax, don't worry about it, just, you know, hold on. If you've got a diversified portfolio, no big deal. Today on Simplevisor.com, um, I just put out a series of charts and we're going th- and, and got to kind of go through all the major markets, right? So, uh, S&P 500, NASDAQ, Dow, small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets. And just taking a look at where they are technically speaking. And once you get outside of domestic equities, which have been under a lot of pressure, the rest of the world looks worse. And not just recently, this has been going on for a while, the underperformance. And so diversification has not helped you. It's actually hurt you in this case. So you get this advice, though, from the financial media and from advisors, and I use that term loosely, um, that you should just, you know, buy a basket of diversified funds and just hold on to them. But that hasn't worked, not just this year. If you've owned a basket of diversified, a diversified portfolio since 2009, you've underperformed the S&P 500. You are better off just being in the S&P 500. The diversification strategy has not worked since 2009. And the point about that is, is that a lot of the advice that's given out there is from basically from Wall Street firms who just want you to invest your money into an account, leave it alone so they can just charge you a fee every year. And it doesn't really matter what the performance is as long as you're just holding and contributing to it right that that's that's the that's the 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 golden plateau that wall street wants you to get to where you just put all your money into an account diversify it for some mutual funds and you just add to it every year and don't take anything out and that's that's great for wall street not so great for you but great for wall street <clears throat> because they just again they've annuitized their business you know this didn't start until really kind of the the early 90s was where this became a thing. Back before then, we didn't have financial advisors. We had stockbrokers. And everybody wants to criticize stockbrokers because they used to basically call people up and say, hey, you know what, I, you know, there's some shares of GE for sale and, you know, I think you should buy it. And they would get paid a commission for executing a transaction. But there was a difference back then. The difference back then was that people actually invested. The average hold time for a stock back in the 70s and 80s 
was about six years. So, yeah, your stockbroker would call you up and he would say, hey, let's, you know, we should buy some shares of GE and the company's doing really well, fundamentally speaking. And we were buying fundamentals back then. I remember growing up, there was <clears throat> my best friend lived about five houses down from me, and his father was the only guy on our whole street that actually had a stockbroker. And he would walk down to the end of his driveway, and this was back in the day, right? Pick up his wall copy of the Wall Street Journal that was thrown onto his driveway, shuffle down there in his house shoes on in the morning, get his copy of the Wall Street Journal, go back inside, and he would call a stockbroker. And this is when we actually looked at what companies were doing. And, and by the time that a company announced earnings, for instance, let's just talk about Amazon last week. Amazon announces earnings. And they go, you know what? We, you know, earnings are pretty decent, but we're worried about an economic slowdown and a consumer slowdown. Not surprising, considering where we are. Stock's down 15%. We, we basically wiped out, you know, <laughs> several tens of billions of market capitalization on an outlook. In moments, this happened. The immediacy of news, right? As soon as we hear about it, we react to it, and the markets are buying it or selling it or whatever they're doing. But back in the day, you know, you would read an article that had taken about two days to get to you. By the time you actually heard about the earnings from Amazon, well, you didn't have Amazon back then, but from GE as an example, they missed by a penny. Outlook's okay. Stock didn't really move that much on the news. It was already kind of factored into the price. And a one-cent miss or a one-cent beat didn't really matter a whole lot as long as the trend of the fundamentals were okay. That's what we were buying. It's no longer the case. Markets are now a casino. And I thought it was interesting because Warren Buffett just uh, recently had his big convention. 40,000 people showed up and... Omaha and went to listen to two old dudes talk about money, right? Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. Kind of like those two old guys on the Muppets, right? I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> They'll make Muppets out of Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett eventually. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> but talking about the same thing, markets are a casino. We're no longer investing on fundamentals. We just simply buy it because it's going up or we sell it because it's going down and you know we have these knee-jerk reaction to news announcements would so really in the long-term fundamental scheme of things let's talk about apple apple killed it on earnings their outlook was soft of course we're going into an economic slowdown of course their outlook soft stocks down on the news now, not as much as Amazon, but still, nothing surprising from Amazon that they guided down. They always guide down, right? And then they come in and miraculously beat the earnings just about every quarter. But the point is, is that a lot of that news has already been factored into the price. These stocks are already down fairly, and some of them, decently. But we're no longer trading on what the fundamentals are. We talked about Facebook. hate the company, Right? despise the company as a company can't stand it i think there's a lot of flawed problems with facebook on what they stand for and more importantly they have a demographic time bomb because old people don't use facebook young kids use instagram now fortunately they own that property 
but you've got to be able to buy that stock cheap enough for the value of Instagram and consider Facebook a throwaway at some point because, again, the demographic time bomb is coming for Facebook as old people die. They will stop using Facebook. Only the bots will live. <laughs> but valuation-wise, this is a company that's growing earnings at 26% annually and has a uh, P valuation of 14 to 16 times earnings. That's fairly cheap. Stock's down 47% from the peak-ish. So there, there is value, but we don't buy value, right? Markets don't trade that way anymore. And again, as we kind of go back and, and what Warren Buffett was talking about at you know, his convention is that we've turned the whole market into a giant casino, right? I mean, we've got people speculating on Bitcoin. You know, there was a, a, lot of, a lot of conversation about from Bitcoin fanatics that Bitcoin's going to replace gold as the inflation trade. You know, it's where everything's going, Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin has underperformed gold. It's underperformed the S&P. It's underperformed, you know, just about virtually every other asset class this year. So it's not doing its job as a hedge for inflation, certainly not doing its job of outpacing, you know, the indexes. It's certainly trading with the indexes more than anything else. And this is just because it's a function. It's a speculative asset, just like everything else is, right? We no longer trade on fundamentals. And this goes back to the bad advice that we're getting out of mainstream media. Just buying and holding a bunch of assets, it's not going to work for you. It hasn't worked for you. Just nobody asks the right questions. Sure, diversification sounds great. And for advisors that promote just buy and hold a diversified strategy, what are you paying them a fee for? I mean, you can do that yourself. Just be careful with the advice you take off mainstream media. All right, quick break, come back. Question is, of course, now, what happens next as we kind of get into the rest of this year? We'll kind of get into that a little bit more right after the break. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. House Republican introduces bill to give Biden sweeping authorities wage war in Ukraine. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of people that are concerned right now. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, what happens if, you know, we get invaded in the U.S. And, you know, there's, there's a, you know, they've made a remake of Red Dawn. Yes. With Patrick Swayze. Yes. Tell you the remake of that. 
And uh, so I was watching this uh, clip over the weekend of this guy talking about the fact that nobody will ever actually invade the U.S. because we have one thing that nobody else has. Guns. No, rednecks. Well, that too. <laughs> I mean, they were born, according to him, right, they were born for this. By the time that, uh, you know, the military shows up, it'll just be shotgun shells and beer cans like, nope, all good. <laughs> it's all taken care of. The reason I bring that up is, is that Governor Greg Abbott is threatening to declare invasion along the southern border as immigration, illegal immigration is expected to skyrocket. So, rednecks. Anyway. Hey, they could do it in about a week. <laughs> I like the idea of what he's been doing, though. He's been putting them in buses and shipping them to Washington, D.C. Yeah, I Some, think that's perfect. It's something we talked about a year ago or so mm -hmm. here on the show. I was like, why don't we do this? And then now they actually did it. So he, I think we just need to keep doing that. Yeah. Just, he was listening. Yeah. Just, you know, he follows me on Twitter. So, hey, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Good morning, Governor Greg. Anyway, a um, couple of things. We were talking about the fact that, you know, you know, as we look forward, you know, into the rest of this year. So, as I said earlier, this Wednesday is really kind of the kickoff for the rest of this year because that's when the Federal Open Market Committee, Jerome Powell, et cetera, will announce their next change to monetary policy, which will be, of course, hiking interest rates by 50 basis points and starting the balance sheet reduction, uh, at least will announce what that runoff will be and when it will start. So it's expected right now that it'll be about 90, 95 billion a month. And that will start in June. And they'll start kind of rolling off that balance sheet. Now, all that means, of course, is they say, okay, we've got a $9 trillion balance sheet, rough ballpark. And every month, we're just going to let $90 billion worth of maturities expire, and we just won't replace them. And that's an important point because they're not selling bonds. They're just allowing the bonds to mature, and there's a lot of short-term bills that they were buying back in 2020, 2021. A lot of the QE they were doing was in shorter-duration bills. So there's a lot of bills on their books that are going to mature and they'll just let them mature. They just won't replace them. And so this won't necessarily impact the bond market like a lot of people are expecting. They're like, oh, my gosh, when the Fed starts selling all their bonds, you know, there's going to be no buyer for bonds and interest rates will go up. And, and, you know, that's true, but they're not really going to be selling these bonds. They're just going to let a lot of them mature. Now, they may have to sell a few here or a few there, but most of the time it's just going to be net maturities and just not replacing them. So, again, this is going to be kind of the, the, the kickoff to what happens as we move forward into the year. But on the positive side, there's quite a few things that are, that are going on that suggest we might be closer to the end, at least for now, of a lot of this market carnage we've been in since January. Um, first of all, stock buybacks, which have made up roughly about 100% of the net asset purchases over the last several years have been in a blackout period because of earnings. Now those buybacks are set to start again as we get towards the latter end of May. And that window is going to open back up. Currently, it's calculated about $5 billion of demand every day in stock buybacks until mid-June. So 
there is a artificial bias. I shouldn't say there's an artificial bias because it's not artificial. It's real, but it's not individuals or institutions. It's basically just corporations buying their own stock back. You know, not, um, Amazon, Apple, a lot of other companies have been announcing increases or extensions to buybacks. ExxonMobil increased their buyback as an example. So a lot of these companies are buying back shares in order to reduce the number of shares that are outstanding, which will improve their earnings per share calculations. So in other words, I don't, it doesn't matter if my sales don't grow, my earnings will go up by the amount of the shares I buy back. Pensions also um, are going to have to start rebalancing, and particularly as we move further into May and June, as we get towards the end of the quarter, a lot of pension funds, mutual funds, et cetera, are out of balance because of the sell-off. So they're underweight equities, um, and there's been a sell-off in bonds, so they're underweight bonds as well. So they're going to have to start rebalancing those portfolios. So say it's a 60-40 allocation, 70-30, 80-20, whatever their allocation model is, they're going to have to start buying stocks in order to support that and get that, those balances back into place. Um, for the reporting period. One thing that we're, we're also going to see that's, that's a positive here is that there's so much negativity in the markets, right? There's a lot of put buyers that have been out there. Volatility has been picking up here. So there's a lot of option traders that are now offsides as well in terms of the markets. And if there's any type of rally in the markets, that's going to cause a reversal in that positioning which will also add to the buying pressure of the market. So, again, this is one thing I was talking about earlier. There's so much negative sentiment in the markets. And this is, and the reason I'm telling you this, it, it, let me be clear. I'm not telling you that we're about to go into the next major bull market and the, the bear market's behind us and it's all over with. I'm not saying that at all. What I am telling you, though, is there is a lot of indication here from various measures, whether it's technical, whether it's sentiment, whether it's positioning, that people are very offsides right now. And that typically provides for very strong reflexive rallies. And what this will cause is, is this will cause the media to declare that the bear market is over. See, right now you can't really have a bear market because there's too many people calling for a bear market. I know that sounds stupid, but that's just the way markets work. If everybody's expecting a bear market, everybody plays for a bear market, and then you can't really have one. The way you get a bear market is you got to get everybody off sides on the bullish side, and then that's where you get your bear market. And that's what's happened numerous times. You go back to 2008 is a good example. And we've talked about this before. You had a fairly decent sell-off, very close to what we had now uh, this year at the beginning of 2008. Then the markets rallied back and actually got to new highs in mid-2008. And then the crash occurred in September. That's And, and this is, you know, the, the sell-off occurred around Bear Stearns earlier in the year. And, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, Bear Stearns just went bankrupt and they got sold for $2 a share and you know, that should have been really kind of the warning sign across the bow at that point, and, and markets should have been falling much much worse than they did, but markets got very negative, very oversold, 
And we saw that reflexive rally took stocks back to new highs and the media media said, see, Bear Stearns, no problem. Subprimes contained. It's all good. Fed's hiking rates. They got it all under control. Obviously, they didn't. And then you had the rest of the decline. And so it's kind of just where we, we're set up in the markets currently. It's just, you know, markets are, are trying to flirt with this current bottom they're in. And does it mean, look, let me be really clear. It does not mean, what I'm telling you right now does not mean markets cannot go lower here in the short term. They certainly can. You know, markets can certainly go lower here in the, next, in the near term. What I am saying is, is that just be careful not to panic sell and do things that lock you out of a potential reflexive rally here that you can then use to rebalance your risk. So, you know, you look at your portfolios like, man, I really need to do something. Sometimes you, your need to do something isn't necessarily the best timing. Because generally when we feel the need to do something, it's because we're emotionally duressed. And that's what's happened in the markets this year. This sell-off has got a lot of investors emotionally duressed. It's like, I need to do something. This isn't working. And I agree, you need to do something. But it's always not the best case to do it right near the bottom. And, and, and do I know this is a bottom in the market? Absolutely not. Nobody does. All we can do is look at the indications, though. And when we look at indications from, you know, our technical composite, like we talked about in our, in our weekly newsletter, um, the sentiment of investors, you know, these things are so offsides. They're at levels that normally where the markets are down 20 or 30 percent, not 12. So there's certainly more downside in the markets. Certainly. I mean, we still have a lot of risks that are coming down the road that we haven't even dealt with yet. But markets tend not to go straight down until you have some sort of crisis. And generally, that's a credit-related issue. So again, as, as we talked about this, you know, I just I'm, what I'm trying to counsel you on is not to make an emotional decision. You may look at your portfolio this morning and go, man, April was terrible. I'm going to open, you're going to open your statement. You're going to be down and you're going to, I need to do something right now. Be careful with that. The need to do something right now is generally the wrong thing to do. Not always. You may do something right now and it'd be okay. I'm just saying that a lot of the time when we have this emotional urge to do something, it's better that we step back, take a breath, reanalyze where we are, what's going on, what the damage is, and then start making a plan. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
Welcome back to the show this morning. So I'm just getting ready to kind of wrap things up here again. Just, you know, I, I just as we start a new month here, kind of the whole premise of the show today is really just not letting emotions overtake whatever investment strategy you're following. That's really all there is to it. You know, there's there's mistakes that we make as investors from time to time, which is we get on one side of the market, and you know we're all in, we're we're all in the inflation trade, right? I'm long oil and commodities and that, and that's great for right now. It's fine. It won't be. That trade will end, and commodities are generally very volatile, and you can lose money very quickly in that trade. And again. Nothing wrong with the trade right now, and you're making money. You just don't forget to take some profits along the way. The one thing that we tend to do is that as investors, we extrapolate whatever thing is going on in the market that it will be the thing for now and forever. And, you know, I'm, I'm killing it. You know, I'm, I'm long agricultural stocks or whatever, and I'm just killing it. I'm just printing money, and that's great. That will end. Don't forget to take profits along the way and keep a watch out for what comes next. And generally what comes next is the thing that everybody hates the most. In 2020, nobody, we've talked about this numerous times on the show, and it's just a good example. In 2020, everybody hated energy stocks. Now everybody's long energy stocks, just as a point. Everybody loved tech stocks back in 2020. Now everybody hates tech stocks, right? So where's going to be the next trade? You buy the stuff that people don't want. Sell the stuff that everybody wants. And it's just uh, timing is always the, the issue, right? And this is where we get into these emotional traps. If I sell my shares of A, B, or C, and it keeps going up, oh my gosh, I didn't get every penny I could off the table. If I buy something that is not doing so well, I'm losing money from the things that are doing well. And that may be true. The problem is, is that by trying to get every last penny off the table, what happens is, is that ultimately prices start to fall and you go, okay, well, I'll just sell it as soon as we get back to all-time highs. And as soon as we get back to where, we, where I was, I'll sell it there. And then... Prices go down some more, and you're like, well, as soon as it gets back to where it was last week, I'll sell it there, and then it goes down some more, and before you know it, you're in the trap, and you give up all your gains. And it will happen very quickly, especially in commodity-related type stocks. They move very volatile very fast. So again, just be careful. Um, you know, portfolio management is, and, and, and we've equate, you know, we often equate portfolio management to playing poker, and the way... A good poker player wins is they know when to walk away from the table. When the cards turn cold, they know to leave. The the amateur player will keep playing just um, next hand. You know, next hand I'm gonna win and I'll be back in the game, right? And then they run out of chips and you're done. And that's that's the way people invest. So it's nothing wrong with leaving some money on the table for somebody else. It's completely okay. And be comfortable with that. Make what you, you know, make some money in something. Be happy with that, be happy with what's enough, and move on. You know, there's a thing I write every, about once a year, I, I, I write this kind of review and talk about markets, and we talk about comparison. 
And comparison is the, the biggest fallacy that people fall into. Let me give you an example of this. I'm going to buy Brent a brand new Mercedes for Christmas. Now, Brent's going to be very happy with his new Mercedes, right? I mean, who wouldn't be happy with Brent? You'd be happy with a new Mercedes? Sure. What color can I have? Any color you want. Done. Okay. You're happy with that, right? Yes. Feel, feel well compensated for your efforts here. I am eternally grateful. Perfect. I'm buying everybody else in the office two of them. <laughs> One to drive while the other one's in the shop? Doesn't matter what they do with it. Everybody else is getting two Mercedes. You're only getting one. Now, here's the, here's the problem with this, right? Brent should be happy with his one Mercedes, but now his first thought is, well, why is everybody else getting two? Mm -hmm. Right? That's our that's the first reaction. Now, why isn't Brent happy? He just got a brand new Mercedes, but he's comparing himself to everybody else in the office who got two. By the way, this is all fallacy. I'm not really buying everybody Mercedes. <laughs> Just an example. Man. I don't want people. I just, I you know, I'm just waiting for the emails. Like you're really buying everybody a car. No, what I'm a, not buying people cars. What a bonus! It's, it's an example. <laughs> but the point is, is that we compare ourselves to everybody else, and it has nothing to do with what we're doing. Right? Forget about everybody else. Forget about comparing yourself to some random benchmark index. It has nothing to do with you. Your portfolio, like if you want to compare yourself to the S&P, your portfolio has to be invested like the S&P, right? You're 100% stocks, no cash. Um, by the way, you pay no fees. You have no taxes. You have no withdrawal requirements, you know, from your IRA. Um, you've got no other operating cost expenses, anything, right? See, a benchmark index is is a fantasy. It's a it's a phantom index. It's just a mathematical calculation. It has no impacts that occur in real life. It doesn't. It's not affected by inflation. It's not affected by bankruptcies. Stock goes bankrupt in uh, the S and P index. They simply just take it out and stick a new one in, and the index automatically recalculates for the new value. You, on the other hand, since you actually own the companies. You sell the bankrupt company at cents on the dollar, and then you've got to figure out where the cash is to go buy another, buy the new company that has to go in at the same weight that the other company was before. So you're now actually having to contribute cash to your portfolio. Index doesn't. So be careful what you compare to. More importantly, indexes don't have anything to do with your time horizon, your needs, your financial goals. That's all that matters. And it doesn't matter whether the market's up 26% in one year or down 10% in a year. What's your goal? You know, I get people all the time. People tell me all the time, if I could just get 3% a year, I'd be happy. Just give me 3% a year. Okay. I can get you 3% a year right now buying 10-year treasury bonds. We're going to put 10-year treasury bonds in your portfolio, and you've got 3% a year for the next 10 years. But, 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 but this is the argument you get right away. But, but what if stocks go up? Yeah, well, what if they go up? You said you wanted 3% a year. I can lock you in and give you 3%, but now you're worried about stocks going up. Yeah, but we can make more money in stocks. True. But you said you wanted 3% a year. The problem is, is that we're always comparing to stuff that we don't 
really want. We say one thing and then we want another thing. We always want what somebody else has. We, always, we want something that the index is doing. Whatever it is, we're always wanting something different. That's the problem. So th the issue that we have is this comparison issue. Always comparing against something else. And we've got to stop doing that because what that leads us to is to making bad investment decisions about what we buy. 2020, 2021 is a great example of all this. People were buying all of these companies that were near bankruptcy, at bankruptcy, had no fundamental values, had no earnings, no revenue, whatever it was. You know, the ARC type companies, Kathy Wood, ARC ETF. And it all sounded great because these stocks were going up 100%, 200%. I mean, you know, we had all the, 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 the meme, you know, Reddit traders that were on Robinhood, you know, buying AMC and GameStop and making 100% a day in returns. It was awesome, right? You had all this liquidity just flooding into the markets, and that game's over, as you would expect it to be. And we wrote articles talking about how this would ultimately end, and here's the end of it. And everybody's like, well, how'd that happen? It's like, well, it was evident. And, and, and this is the problem, though, is that, again, you know, we get greedy about these things. And we allow those, we allow those emotions to override our logic. And then we're surprised by the outcome. And so the whole point about the conversation today is simply kind of stepping back and going, what's important to me? What's important to my portfolio? What is it that I'm trying to achieve? And building a structure that you're happy with. And forget about the rest of it. Just forget about the rest of it because it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. If you're happy with the rate of return that you're getting, the rest of it does not matter. It's just a function of getting our emotions into the right place. And this is the one thing that we just, we consistently forget. We consistently forget these ideas because we get distracted by the mainstream media. We get distracted by, you know, red and green blips all over our computer screen. And this, you know, the biggest part of the problem with investing today is we have too much access to too much information. That's really what it is. We would all be better investors if we went back to my best friend's dad down the street with his Wall Street Journal getting information three days late. We were all better investors back then. A lot of things were better back then. <laughs> All right, wraps up the show for the day. Get by the website. Our uh, latest newsletter is out now. Simply go to the website, click the newsletter link, talking about the first quarter GDP decline. What does it mean for the markets and kind of what potentially happens next? And as we get ready to kick off the month of May, um, we'll see if we can get a little bit better month than we had in April. All right, wraps up the show for today. Get by the website. Also, check out simplevisor.com. Our new report is out this morning on the major market review. That is on the website now at simplevisor.com. You can subscribe for free for 30 days. Check out the report. See the other data and portfolios that are there for you, simplevisor.com. See you back here tomorrow.